keep him in the grave, right? Amen. All other tombs are filled with bones or uh, dust, but the tomb of Jesus Christ is squeaky clean. There is no one there. I visited that tomb. I sat where they laid him down. It was nice, clean place, and I praised God and I cried my heart out that my Savior lives forever. He is not in the grave. Wasn't that a beautiful song? They could not. No matter what, they could not keep him. We thank God. Thank you, choir. May God bless you. Let's open uh, for one verse. Let's open our Bibles to First uh, Timothy, chapter 6. First Timothy and chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 11 and 12. Paul writing to Timothy. Verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writing to Timothy, he tells him, But as a father to his son, and who is uh, now pastoring the church, flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This ends our reading. I want to share with you today a verse. Verse 12, the first sentence, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. We are challenged. This is as if it is written to us. And it is. We should take it verbatim. This is what the Bible teaches us. We believe in every word, every punctuation. Everything that is written in the word of God is written for us, is written to teach us, and we should follow. What Paul uh, is doing here, he's encouraging Timothy to do and what not to do. But today we are looking at the positive side. Timothy, fight the good fight. And that good fight is to protect the sum of the teachings that we have in our hands. It is a battle. And most of the believers in Christ confess it's not easy. Last week, Ron said, it's hard. But in Jesus Christ, nothing is too hard for us. It is difficult. It's a battle of right against wrong. It's a battle of light against darkness. Why? 
The Lord is asking us, and Paul is saying, preserve the truth. And preserve, in my words, in the common person's words, what has been entrusted to you by our godly forefathers. The call to this fight implies that there is an enemy. Yes or no? When we say, let's go fight, there is an enemy to fight. We're not. And we thank God that the fight is going on, but we're not alone in it. Keep that in the back of your mind. We are not alone, but we are to fight. There are enemies of the faith in the outside world, as you well know, and in the organized church today, and in our fallen nature. We fight against this nature. If there is someone say, he, who's here today who tells me, listen, Adol, I have no problem with my old nature. Please tell me how you cannot have this problem. <laughs> tell me. I was talking to our dear friend Bill McDonald once. He was then 80. I said, you know, we have a fight. We have a fight against this flesh, this old nature. He said, tell me about it. There's a big fight going on. And in the face of this challenge, we are to fight the good fight. And Paul is writing to his son Timothy, fight the good fight. The good fight of faith against evil, against the ills that we find in our community, against apostasy in the professing church today, against temptation and sin that is in our hearts and lives inside our churches. How many, how strong are the foes of faith today and in our modern world? We fight against a godless society, right? Unethical practices. Wherever we go, anti-Christian elements, philosophy, psychology, and the evil that infiltrated our school system. The flood of vicious novels, books. Magazines that encourage violence, disobedience to parents, unlawful sex, and dishonoring the marriage vows. It's all everywhere. Our society, let me tell you one thing, our society is sick. I want, I want to remind you, you know, but I want to remind you, as a, as a pastor, and in all humbleness, I always Try and God is trying to remind us that we are living in a filthy society. And we can't wait for the trumpet to sound. And we shall go with him. And we can say all together, good riddance. Television, I didn't talk about it. Drugs, gambling, and other related acts that I cannot mention here that wreck the family life and left our society in total disarray. In the face of all this, how are we to fight? And to those of you who love football, I have to present to you, probably this is going to be a two weeks message. Uh, offensive weapons, and Dean, defensive weapons. So Dean knows. <laughs> offensive weapons, 
and defensive weapons. And if you want to know about it, uh, you go back home and study the book of Timothy. The, the, uh, Paul tells Timothy, his son, how to be on the offense and how to be on the defense. And I wanted to share with you some offensive weapons, a couple today. And if I don't finish on time, uh, we'll continue the defensive weapons next time. The first offensive weapons that Paul is writing to Timothy to follow is godly living. Godly living. Listen to me, young people. Most of, our, most of the attendees in our church are young. Thank God. Even if you are 84 years old, you're young, Walter. <laughs> Amen. God is talking to us. So let's listen for the next 20 minutes, and then we'll go home. Godly living requires a walk, a life. The most convincing behavior of our Christian faith is its life-changing power. You cannot pretend to have uh, a godly living without a changing power at a certain time in your life. What I mean by that, you cannot be say, say I, want, I want to live a godly man and without experiencing the salvation of Jesus Christ. You cannot be godly if you don't have God in your heart. That's simple. You cannot walk. The life of a Christian, you might, you might put yourself into a regiment and start walking, and guess what? Suddenly, the words defeat you. And they will tell on you, and your behavior falls into 10,000 pieces very soon. You cannot impress others that you are saved but by your talk only, right? Mm. But a definite changed life supported by your walk, then you are living a godly life. Godly living. Someone said, listen to this, pretentious talk without godly walk is an arrow with pretty feathers but blunted point. Doesn't kill, doesn't do anything. Oh, how many, how mighty, how sneaky, and how determined is the insurgency today and the foes of the faith? How can the Davids of Christianity meet and defeat the Goliath of this world? You sometimes wonder. How can these men that we heard about last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stand before a king and his kingdom and say, our God is able. You know what? They determined, though they are in cap captivity and away in exile, they determined to have godly living. They didn't say no one is there. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're in a foreign land. We, we, we were defeated. We're losers. We're captives. We can live our own life. Hey, 
thank God they're offering us meat every day. They said, no, we are not to defile ourselves. And we are not going to bow the knee to any other God except our God. How can they win? How can they win and the fiery furnace is there? But they had one faith. One simple faith in the Lord of heaven. And guess what? The Lord protected them. And they were victorious. And the whole kingdom and the king were defeated. How can we say, how can we win the battle? Fight the good fight of faith. We're minority. And thank God for the minorities we have. Thank God if we are minority. But guess what? Don't ever forget that hosts of angels are with you and makes you majority in Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. How can... A man like Daniel conquer hungry lions and defeat them. You know why? Because from the very beginning, he was captive too. From the very beginning, he determined not to defile himself with the good things of the kingdom. That's godly living. Godly living is not in talk, but in action. And God put them to the test. And you know what? When God puts us to the test, are we going to fail him? He says, Timothy, you are pastoring a church now. And guess what? If there's someone who knows when you pastor a church, the many situations that you go to, the troubles and tribulations, and the good times and the bad times, and the joys and the sorrows, you truly know about it. Any pastor would know about it, but have a good faith. I have conquered the world. That's what God says. Are we living a godly life? We are fighting, but if we don't have the godly life that God wants us to live, we are going to lose the battle. We cannot win without Christ. And it's not a name here, Jesus, here on the board. No, Jesus should be in the heart. Should be in our minds. Should be in our emotions. Should be in our life. Should be the first and the last in us. He is the Alpha, Omega. Should be everything, the determined factor in, our, in your lives. And without him, we will never succeed. But with him, let me tell you, with him, we can conquer everything in the world. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of all fortresses in the world. First and foremost, if you have to win the battle, Timothy, I tell you one thing. You need to conduct a godly living. Godly living, under the same godly living, requires action. Did we say, hey, if, you, if uh, you talk about I'm godly, we are okay, and we're living, we're fine. How many people you talk to? You ask them whether they are Christians. The word Christians involves so many things. Are you a Christian? Well, hey, if you're not an atheist, everybody is Christian. Unless you're a Muslim, you're a Christian. Or, but. Are you born again? I mean, let's zeroing down a little bit. 
Let's not be vague. Let's zero it down. When we ask people, are they a Christian? It's, it's a misguided question, in my opinion. Have you experienced the salvation of the Lord? Isn't that better? Are you a born-again believer? Are you a member of the church? Ah, uh, that's also not a, not a clear-cut question. Many people are members of the churches, and they come in, and they go. And guess what? When they die, they go to hell. And we don't want anyone to go to hell. God, I said it, and I say it today. God created you not for hell, for heaven. He, this is why he sent his only son to die on the cross, to give you eternal life, and to give you godly living. Through Jesus Christ, godly living can be attained. And outside him, there is no godly living. This is why he said, fight the good fight. If you have godly living, you are in a fight. You are in a fight until the day he calls us home. Now, as we said, godly living requires action. In verse 18, Paul continues. If you have your Bibles open, verse 18, instruct them, he says. Instruct them. This is why I say read it at home. To do good. That's it. I stop here. Okay, let's finish the, the verse. Instruct them to do good. To be rich in good what words. To be generous and ready to share. To be good in good words. So many people preach good words. A good works rather before salvation. Good works are good only when they are the fruit of salvation. Did, am I, did I make myself clear? If you want to buy... Two bags of groceries from Safeway and take them and give them to some poor people, that's good. But it's not going to get you to heaven. You can have good works without Christ. They mean nothing. When you enter the kingdom of heaven, you are going to enter it by the blood of Jesus Christ, but, but not by the works that you do here. But good works... After salvation, as a Christian, good works are required. Are required. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Paul, part of Timothy, part of the fight is you have to be a worker for Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 117, learn to do good. Do good. To those who hate you, the Bible says. So then while we have opportunity, Paul is writing, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We need to be good doers of good. Jesus Christ went around doing good himself. The woman with alabaster bottle, she believed in Christ. She loved her Savior. He changed her life. He uh, gave her a new life completely. Came and broke and powered this wonderful perfume at the, on the head of Jesus. She was criticized that this was a waste. But Jesus was aware. And he said in Matthew 26 and verse 10, Why do you trouble the woman? 
for she has done a good work for me. Any good work we do that is outside the realm of a, from coming and from a heart of a good Christian, someone who's accepted the Lord as Savior, experienced the love of Christ, any other good, good work is not counted for you in the kingdom of heaven. It should be as a result of a belief, firm belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. She has done a good work for me. He knew her heart and she's done good. When we know what we are required to do, let us do it. Timothy, do it from the heart. Because the Bible clearly says, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. May God help us to do the right thing. May God help us to do good work for Jesus Christ. Especially to the household of faith. A Bible teacher was told, the way you teach is very important. And what you teach is even more important. But how you live is most important. Not talking, but living. Living a life worthy of our calling. How many? have been first influenced for Christ, not by eloquent sermons, but by, but by practical help, by practical Christianity. May God exercise our hearts to practice what we preach, to live what we learn. If we want to say, if we want to talk a lot about our lives, we should back it with our actions. Timothy, that's the way you fight the good fight. Someone said the devil is willing for a person to confess Christianity as long as he does not practice it. Let's be careful. How are you doing? You see me at church. Hi, Adel. I'm doing fine. How many times you, you shake the hand of someone? How are you doing? Great. Right? Comes on. I'm praising God. We're doing very fine. How is your life at home? That talk should be interpreted into a walk at home. How do you treat your wife? How do you live at work? How are your transactions? Are they clear, cut transactions? Do you know that every transaction you made, God is taking note? Every penny you have to account for. Every word you say, you have to stand one day before Christ and give an account of that. How is your life? How is your secret life? When you, get the, when you hit young people, when you hit the internet, what do you look at? This thing is looking at you day and night. Sin is everywhere. As we said, our society is corrupt. Everything is corrupt. Are you walking? The talk, are you living a godly life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you? He died alone. He had no one to substitute for him. He had no backup. 
had nowhere to go. This is why he cried, Eli, Eli, there was none for you and for me. If he put his life down for you, how should we live then? How is your secret life? As we said, the devil, the devil is very happy to confess that you're a Christian. But as long as you don't practice it. Once we start to practice our Christianity, the devil starts buffeting us from every side. But be of good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. Offense, right? We are on the offense. And we are going to hit the end, the end zone. It might not be while you're still alive. But never mind that. He is coming. Whether he will find us asleep or still alive, we are going to be with him. The last word is his word, not the word. Now, another thing. Timothy, fight the good fight. Another word that comes after this life is witnessing. Did you ever think of that? Witnessing. The next offensive weapon, Dean, is witnessing. Let's look at verse 12. Fight the good fight, verse 12 of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made here, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You made a confession. Witnessing. Years ago, there lived in New York City, what they used to call them, a cleaning lady, a scrub woman. Widely known in Christian circles as Sophie, the cleaning lady. She truly loved her Lord and never missed an opportunity to speak for him. One day she was seen witnessing to a wooden Indian standing in front of his stores that sold cigars. You remember those, you know? And she's, uh, she's hitting that wooden Indian. So a nominal Christian passes by, saw her and said, Sophie, don't you know you are talking to a wooden Indian? She replied, no. I didn't know I was talking to a wooden Indian about Christ. My eyesight is very bad. But talking to a wooden Indian about Christ is not as bad as being a wooden Christian and never talking to anybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard two, three years ago about frozen Christians. Remember, Carl Knott? Frozen Christians. Are you a frozen Christian? Are you a wooden Christian? Are we? Or whenever God puts you, you start witnessing about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, someone read this story and wrote a poem. And I want to read it to you. 
You talk about the weather. We're all good when we talk about that, right? You talk, and crops of corn and wheat. You speak with friends and neighbors that pass along the street. You call yourself a Christian and like the gospel plan, then why not speak of Jesus and witness where you can? Are you ashamed of Jesus and the story of the cross? That you lower his pure banner and let it suffer loss. Have you forgot his suffering? Did he die for you in vain? If not, then live and speak for Jesus and speak out like a man. I'd like to tell the story, sweet of Jesus, wouldn't you? To help some other folks to meet their Savior, wouldn't you? I'd like to travel all the way to where I'd hear my Jesus say, you've helped my work along today. I'd like that, wouldn't you? You know, it does, make, does not take so much knowledge or education or Bible study to tell what the Lord has done in your life, does it? When Jesus met the Samaritan woman, we don't know whether she was educated or not, but we knew one thing, she was a great sinner, right? And she met Jesus and took him as her savior. She found the true water at the well of Jacob and went to the city, to Samaria, and started witnessing and preaching to them that someone knew all what I have done. She had no other story except her story. You know one thing? Do you have a good story about your life? You know, the best story of my life is when I got saved. It's not when I won an award or when I was honored. It's now when I, I was promoted. We all go through these experiences in life. And we can't wait to tell people about them, right? And you can't hide it. Did you know that I got a promotion? You want to stand and tell them. But how about, did you know that I have accepted the Lord as my Savior? How about witnessing? How about opening your mouth? Isn't that a good story? Tell me, is not a good story? Your salvation is not a good story? What's holding you? Dear brother and sister, what's holding us? Go and tell the whole world. Go preach and teach. What's holding us? I'm not asking you to be a preacher. Just to tell them your experience. How God saved you. And if you're at home, and if you call yourself a Christian, this is the challenge. If you call yourself a Christian, are you telling others how you have experienced the Lord and his salvation? It's sad that we live as a Christian and no one knows about us. What shall we call them? Closet Christians? We don't want that. Let them know. I was talking to a nominal Christian once in a church. That's 30 years ago. I was talking, and we mentioned a name. Oh, she said, that guy who always recites to you verses from the Bible. I says, what's wrong with that? Oh, he's always talking about the Bible and salvation. Is that wrong? Hmm. 
in Mark 5, there's a story that the, the demoniac story was healed and Jesus touched him and he begged Jesus, said, I want to follow you and accompany you wherever you go. Listen to what Jesus told him. Go home. Go home to your people. And report to them and witness to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. This was a demoniac. He didn't go to theology Bible school. He didn't go anywhere. And God sent him and said, go tell them what you have experienced. And he went, you know what? And became the first missionary at that time. Ten cities to tell them what God has done to him. Are you ashamed of Christ? Timothy, fight the good fight. We cannot win if we don't people about Christ. If we don't tell them about what he's done in our lives. Timothy, fight this good fight. Are you ashamed? Do you have the courage whenever you meet someone and they'll say, hey, I see you smiling. You know, what's there to smile about? And you keep smiling. I want to tell you why I'm smiling. Jesus is in my heart. How about that? Quickly, let them know that you are a Christian. If you are really true Christian, if you are a godly person, if you're living a godly life, they should know. Oh, how difficult is to tell this good story? How difficult? When I used to work, we used to talk about some good story. I said, what? Why don't you, why don't you say it in our meeting today? You have a good story. Share it. You have a good story? Please share it. Fight the good fight of faith. Does uh, the fight sometimes seem uh, hopeless? Are you tempted sometimes to give up? Say it's so difficult. People are mocking at me. Remember Abraham? Remember Jacob, Joseph, Moses, by the Red Sea? Nothing was too difficult. Is there any? Thing impossible for our Christ. Remember Gideon, remember the Midianites, remember Joshua, the victories, remember the men of God, remember the disciples that God sent them, and they spread Christianity all over the world. And we are, we are some of their fruits here. They fought the good fight, all of them, and they won. Remember the men of faith and the women of faith, and they all know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Did Paul fight a good fight? This is why he can tell Timothy, because he was living, and he was through the fighting, and through all the problems that he was facing, he was more than victorious. From the dungeons of Rome, he wrote the best epistles of the gospel and he was always positive about the results and he says Timothy fight the good fight of faith are we fighting are you amongst who are fighting have you given up tonight
These are the offensive weapons, and time is up. Sometime next month, we'll do defensively. He tells him, and the defensive weapons guard the teaching of faith, and the other one is prayer. Meanwhile, I want to read to you a little word I read from the Prince of Preachers, who is the Spurgeon. Look up, believer. Look up. Look up to Jesus now. Let the eye of your faith behold him with many crowns upon his head. And remember that you will one day be like him. As he is, you shall not be so divine. But still, you shall, in a measure, share the same honors. And enjoy the same happiness. And the same dignity which he possesses. Be content to live unknown for a little while and to walk your weary way through the fields of poverty or up the hills of affliction, for by and by you shall reign with Christ.